When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on our show, we're going to the world of light. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. I am your special guest today, Digi. And my name's Abu. And I'm Lawrence. Digi, that was one hell of an intro. I don't think anyone in <laughs> yeah. three seasons has killed the intro like you just did. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Um, I actually do a lot of emceeing for like this local anime convention, so I'm used to introducing things. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you killed it. You you just immediately topped every other intro ever on Lore Party, so congrats <laughs> on doing that on your debut episode. Right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're going to be a new part of the Lore Party team. We're excited to have you on. Yeah. Today's your debut episode. It's a fitting because you love Smash Brothers, and today we're talking about Super Smash Brothers. Oh, yeah. I love Smash Bros. and everything in it. I have played basically all of the games except for Xenoblade and Fire Emblem because I just haven't yet. Fire Emblem is kind of daunting because it's been going on for decades. And Xenoblade, who has time for a big full JRPG anymore, I mean... Man, amen to that, dude. The older I get, the harder it is for me to like go into a game I know is going to be 60 plus hours. Like that, yeah. that is going to take me like a year to finish. <laughs> yeah, being an adult and having a job kind of like destroys that. Right. But I think a lot of adults, regardless of their jobs, are going to be spending a lot of time on Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Guaranteed. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I've taken the day off. I've got like a full weekend planned. I restocked on coffee. And I'm just not going to sleep. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of sick days taken next week. Uh, I've taken off Friday this week, and I have gotten coffee also. So I'm glad I'm not the only one who's actually done that. Nice, nice. So if it isn't clear yet to our listeners, you may be listening to this episode after Super Smash Bros. Ultimate has already come out. We actually recorded it about, what, a day and a half before it actually comes out? We are about... 27 hours away from me picking up the game because it's releasing at 9 p.m. here. It doesn't sound like you're counting the minutes at all. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just figured, I mean, it's it's 27 hours and 25 minutes, but who's counting? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so clearly, Digi is incredibly excited for Smash Brothers. Lawrence, I think you also are a big Smash guy, right? Oh yeah, it's uh, been pre-downloaded for what feels like forever now, and I've just been staring at it. Sometimes I click the game to see if Nintendo's messed up, and I can play it early. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, uh, to be to be fair, I did that with Pokemon Let's Go. Had it pre-downloaded, I would check maybe once a day and click on it in case Nintendo <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. They definitely didn't. <laughs> and I mean, on that note, like, uh, listeners, the game's not out, but... Uh... Through various means, at least some of us have seen uh, basically the entire campaign mode. Right. So I think that's actually a good transition to a bit of a spoiler warning. Today, we're going to be focusing on the story mode, or at least 
the bare bones story that exists within Smash. The story mode for the two games that have story and maybe touching on the ramifications of the other games. Exactly. So we're going to be diving into the stories and the worlds and the plots of these games. So fair warning, this is your spoiler warning. If you're still playing Smash Ultimate and you haven't completed the story yet, we may be touching on some spoilery stuff with that game. Although to be fair, we haven't gotten our hands on it yet. I think Digi is the only one that has watched all of the spoilers. I've only watched a couple. I watched a man equipped with Lanky Kong hurl axes until he beat the game. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've not watched any of the spoilers, but uh, I'm prepared. Nice. Lawrence is the only honest one here. But again, just to reiterate, very minor spoiler warning. I think a lot of the discussion today is probably going to be about Subspace Emissary, the previous story mode, but uh, we're definitely going to be touching on World of Light. So proceed with caution. Let's get right into it, though. Before we start, I'm curious how you guys define Smash Brothers. Like, what kind of game is Smash Brothers to you, Lawrence? Oh, dude. Oh, man. (laughs) Smash since since the Nintendo sixty four when I got that com- like the commercial where there was oh, the, god, the guy in so the Pikachu costume. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I I've been listening to that song in preparation for this. But Super Smash Brothers is just like some groundbreaking franchise where like you didn't know that you wanted to see different Nintendo characters fight until you play Super Smash Brothers. It was like such a like creative idea for the times the and thing I think is, it's is that uh Nintendo didn't even know they wanted to see Nintendo characters fight. Um originally it was just going to be a completely original game with an original IP. So just as a placeholder, they put in like Mario and stuff and they thought it was amazing and they went on with it. And they that was the greatest decision that they've ever made at Nintendo. And I feel like this was like the jumping off point for Amiibos for Nintendo, too, because, I mean, all of the trophies are in the shape of Amiibos, too. So there, there's like so much like that it did for Nintendo and like that, that know, just a really, really awesome game to me. Yeah, absolutely. It's significance and impact can't be understated. But Digi, how do you define Smash for yourself? What, do, what does Smash Brothers mean to you? So Smash Bros. Oh, man. is <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's kind of a big thing. Um, no, like I, I got the first one because of the commercial, it was amazing. And I just had to try it and it consumed most of my like elementary middle school life. And then melee happened. Ooh. Um, and the hype cycle for brawl was so much that I imported a Japanese Wii so I could get the game a month early. Above and beyond. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And uh so brawl was also the time that i started uh doing like modding and stuff and i worked on like character swaps and model swaps and things like that and basically customized it into being just an engine to put things in and i enjoyed that so much that i'm actually working on my own game engine for this like a mugen style smash bros engine and I have been working on that in my free time for like five years. So that has consumed most of my life. Wow. So Smash was not only huge and significant for Nintendo, sounds like it was huge and significant for Digi. <laughs> it is yeah. the reason I went to college to become a computer programmer so I could make a Smash Bros. Wow. So it wouldn't be an overstatement to say that Smash changed your life. Absolutely. That's awesome. So obviously we're a podcast about story and lore. 
Smash didn't really have a significant story until Subspace Emissary came along and gave us this like weird, incredible, no voice acted, except for one line from Snake, <laughs> story and plotline that just, honestly, I rewatched every single cutscene recently in preparation for this episode, and I was telling Lawrence before we started recording, this weird little storyline made me feel things that I did not expect to feel from essentially just a brawler. <laughs> yeah. Now, that it's surprisingly heavy story. With no words, which is like, that's the most amazing part. Like, you feel a lot of, uh, I mean, like, you're on the edge of your seat. There's like, the, you know, the really sad moments. There are the happy and excited moments, but no one says anything. Except for grunts. And the occasional showtime. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. So for the uninitiated, Digi, can you set up sort of the world of Subspace Emissary and what it told us? Just the basic plot and the world that we experienced when we played that story mode in a Smash game for the first time ever. So you open on a shot of a stadium, and in the stadium you have Kirby and Mario fighting. Mario because he's the Nintendo poster child, and Kirby because Sakurai has an intense bias to stuff that he made. Um, <laughs> and they're fighting, and it's like, you play through the fight, but it's like everything's all bright, and happy and you you get the feeling that like this is just a sort of fun thing that these characters do they just battle for sport and then suddenly like the meta knight ship the halberd comes in and like fills up the sky with clouds and then these little monster things start materializing and then pd piranha shows up with a couple of kidnapped princesses and then things go off the fucking rails yeah it all goes to shit from there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and one little detail that you forgot to mention is in that first fight between mario and kirby mario ends up winning and kirby becomes a literal trophy that's like a part of this world that's extremely important is that this is this world is called the world of trophies because all of the fighters that inhabit it, when they lose a fight, they don't die, they just become trophies. Yeah, and then Mario comes and like tags the little bottom of the, the trophy and like revives Kirby, and that sort of tag revival thing becomes pretty important. Yes, throughout the rest of the plot, that becomes a major part of the story. There's a lot of revival going on. Uh, King DDD also has this little coin that if the, it's attached to a fighter, even if they become a trophy, they will eventually revert back and be revived and become themselves again. So that plays a huge role, the idea of turning into a trophy and turning back. And then the bad guys are essentially trying to turn all the fighters into trophies and collect them and take them to a place called the subspace. Because our big bad, who's also introduced in this story mode, is Taboo. He's basically Tron. <laughs> it's like a Tron ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. I never made that connection, but you guys are so right. <laughs> and so he exists in that subspace that he can't leave. Right. So I think we should differentiate the world of trophies and subspace because they're essentially two different realms. I think reality realms is the yeah, realms is yeah. the right word. I was going to say realities, but that's not necessarily true. They're two different realms. The world of trophies is ruled over and I think, I may be wrong on this, but created by Master Hand, right? Yes, yes. Well, I don't know. I got the feeling that the subspace was, like, created by Taboo, and that Master Hand wasn't from the subspace because he sort of rebels against Taboo. 
once he gets free. Yeah, there's like a a strange thing where it seems like these types of creatures, or like the the like whatever taboo is, they're kind of like hold a like a higher position over the master hand or the crazy hand. Yeah, back to the villain a little bit. It was uh, jump the gun a little bit because like first you think it's all of these villains teaming up to like fight all the heroes. Then you find out it's being orchestrated by Ganondorf. Then you find out he's taking orders from Master Hand, and then you find out that Master Hand is being puppeteered by Taboo. I, what I appreciate is the fact that, like, as the, the puppet strings get, like, you know, you get closer and closer to the top, at least the villains are more, it's more believable that Ganondorf is where in the position that he's in than, like, if it had been Bowser or Wario. Yeah, I, I, ne- I would not have expected Bowser to pull off some elaborate heist to turn every fighter into, <laughs> into trophies. You gotta wonder how Ganon feels about being on the other end of the villain bait and switch for once. Because, like, every game is like, I'm the villain of this Zelda game. And then at the end, Ganon's like, surprise. Right. I was getting tricked and I didn't know. Like, <laughs> <it's> just... <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I think is interesting about, like, the world of trophies. I mean, it seems to be like this world where you have these different Nintendo characters that, that do battle with one another. But they seem to have, like, this kind of strange, like, or mutual respect. Like, the second um, danger... You know, like at the very beginning, the second Meta Knight ship came, Peach, Kirby, and uh, Zelda all like jumped in, like they all teamed up instantly. And throughout the throughout the game, even though even like everyone teams up, that's not Wario or Bowser or Ganondorf. Basically, I'm just salty about Rayquaza. Like, what is he just doing, hanging around in an ocean somewhere, randomly attacking <laughs> Diddy up. Kong? Just shows up for like five <laughs> minutes. Speaking of people showing up for just like five minutes. I got to say that really ham-fisted Sonic intro, like right at the end, like when we're clearly in the climax stage of the story. Apparently, the story behind that, I don't know if this is hearsay, is that uh, they wanted Sonic in, but Sega was being really slow about getting like the full confirmation. And by the time Sega was like, all right, fine, put Sonic in the game, they had already basically finished the story mode. And they're like, well, we can't just not have Sonic. Yeah, I mean, he's part of the roster and he's such a huge fan favorite character. Something else about this world that I thought was kind of weird, though. I understand that we're mainly just following these iconic Nintendo characters and these fighters through this epic world ending story. But the thing that kept popping into my mind was, do other people exist here? Like, who was in the crowd in the stadium watching this fight? Well, they all got killed. (laughs) Yeah, they got they got. (laughs) warped into subspace and nobody was around to poke the trophies so they're all dead now (laughs) (laughs) okay that's one dark interpretation of that (laughs) everybody was imploded i mean and then you also see like when donkey kong's introduced i mean you get like the hammer bro and a gomba and a koopa the henchmen are still around yeah they're henchmen and like they don't seem to turn into trophies even when like donkey kong spent all that time wailing on them Mm-hmm. They just die. Yeah, he just like smashed them into the ground to get that cart of bananas, and nothing ever happened. Huh? Do you think that means only the fighters have the privilege of turning into trophies, and everyone else is just mortal, like normal? I, I literally think that we're just in the world of Nintendo, and like these are characters created by. I mean, in world of Nintendo in quotes because like we're pulling in a lot of other characters now, but um, I, I feel like these are. These trophies are kind of characters that are held to high standard or they're like revered by these people. And so 
maybe the you know the combat is also just like a display of uh that higher standing so the last thing i'll say about subspace emissary before we move on to world of light is that the entire time while i was rewatching these cutscenes i couldn't help but make comparisons to the marvel cinematic universe and especially civil war because the entirety of subspace emissary is basically just back to back badass entrances for some of our favorite and most iconic characters. And that's essentially what the Marvel Cinematic Universe has become now, too. <laughs> and then Sonic is Spider-Man uh, in this analogy? Oh, yes. I was just about to say that. Yes. He is He is no one else but Spider-Man. Yeah, so I was definitely getting Marvel Cinematic Universe vibes. So I gotta say, like, we give the MCU a lot of credit for creating the Cinematic Universe. Smash did it first, and Smash did it years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We interrupt this podcast for a preview for a different podcast. I'm Bruce, a regular contributor to Lore Party. In the unforgiving world of the gods, there is an endless, vicious cycle of fathers killing sons, brothers killing brothers, and sons killing mothers. But Kratos, the ghost of Sparta, looks to end that cycle with his son Atreus as they journey through the various realms of the Norse pantheon. Tune into our God of War episodes where my co-host Abu and I discuss the latest installment in the God of War series from 2018 and the insightful ways the game creates more depth in a beloved franchise. Just check out our lore party feed and search God of War. It should be easy to find. We now continue your regularly scheduled podcast. So what did you guys think about the World of Light trailer? When you first saw it, first impressions. What the uh, hell? Yeah, I have like a reaction video somewhere on the internet, of my <laughs> reaction to it, which is basically like, I can't believe everyone is fucking dead. Right. I was just like, uh, <laughs> so the, the what? Huh? Because like with all the trailers coming out for Smash Ultimate, like you got Mario and Mega Man getting murked by Ridley in his trailer, and K. Rule just straight up just murders DDD. Luigi gets his soul ripped out by death himself, <laughs> and it's just like, who's gonna die in the next reveal trailer? Turns out it's fucking everybody. <laughs> and even even the people that tried to defend themselves, I'm just like, oh, yeah. so every everyone's dead here? Is this? Are you guys trying to tell us something? I do have to say, some of the people tried way harder to survive than others. Like, yoga person was just like, uh, all right, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, she just struck the pose like, this is the pose I planned on dying in. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the person actually taking out all of our favorite Nintendo characters one by one. The big bad, this floating, disembodied, glowing light thing in the sky called Gleam. Not to be confused with Galliam, a two-bit boss from Subspace Emissary. <laughs> yeah. back oh in yeah, one, one of those robot Whose bosses. name is literally the same thing, but one of the E's is an O. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think about Galeem? My first thought is he looks like a Final Fantasy end boss. That, yeah, true. I thought that I was... My, my first thought was, did uh, Taboo actually come back? Especially because he pulled down all of those master hands and like then essentially like turned them into what looked like the chains of light and then they vaporized everybody. So yeah. Yeah. What was up with the 70 master hands? I thought there was just one master hand and there's, well, there's master hand and then there's crazy hand and they're like the, the big super powerful ones. I think the other ones aren't like 
Maybe they're just hands. They're not master hands. Sans master. <laughs> and now we're getting into spoiler territory, but the other big bad boss has an army of crazy hands. Right. I, I think we can go ahead and say who Galim's counterpart is. I don't think that's a yeah, huge spoiler. The game will be out by the time this episode's out. Yeah, yeah. Darkon. Exactly. So Galim's ultimate mission is to defeat his counterpart, Darkon, who is the opposite of Galim. Galim is the Lord of Light. That's why he's bright and shiny and blasting the fuck out of everyone with pure light, it looks like. And then Darkon is just the embodiment of darkness. And the two are essentially fighting each other and also trying to take out the fighters, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why they're trying to fight the fighters. I think it's mainly just the fact that they've decided to use this Nintendo realm as their battleground, and they don't want anyone interrupting. It might be that simple. Yeah. It might be. I mean, you might be correct. They could just be these deities who are fighting each other and happen to come across the Nintendo world and the world of trophies and decide that they're going to use these fighters as pawns in their game against each other. But there's a lot of uh, strange... What, what I've noticed, there's a lot of strange comparisons to... Um to uh what's his name sorry taboo from this the uh subspace emissary so they use a lot of like the same tactics like instead of using like the uh the dark parasites or dark bugs or whatever they called them to copy them they just seemed like when they vaporized them they were able to duplicate the trophies into like a evil clone so lawrence i did want to ask you though yes since you have not watched any of the ultimate spoilers yet do you think there's going to be a connection with taboo is that going to be some sort of big reveal in Ultimate? Because I think you're right. Like the fact that the both Darkon and Gleam use the same tactics as Taboo did in Subspace Emissary. He also converted the trophies into essentially evil versions, right? There was like Evil Peach and there were a couple of other, I forget exactly who they were, but there were a couple of other evil fighters that you fought against in Subspace Emissary. And from my understanding, it was to make himself more powerful. Yeah. And, and so like, who knows if the events of the subspace emissary are what led to like, you know, these two stronger forces being able to actually breach from, you know, whatever world they were in into this world. Yeah. Well, I did want to move on to Taboo's sort of motivations. Did you? You brought it up a little bit. The fact that he maybe wants to break out of subspace. But what do you what do you guys think his motivations are? Like, why do all of this? I feel like he's just he is subspace like he's not in the subspace realm he is just like the everything and he's manifesting these little dark bugs because maybe he can open a pathway through that he can't fit through but he can fit small portions of himself through and try to widen it from the other side with those subspace bombs interesting but i thought the point of the subspace bombs was to absorb parts of the world of trophies into subspace right but that's the thing if he can't leave then he can bring reality to him. And uh, then if he consumes everything into subspace, then he has effectively, you know, got a world to mess with. Yeah. Right. Instead of endless void. Which is interesting because from what we know of Ultimate, without getting into spoilers, those motivations are slightly different from Galim and Darkon. Galim and Darkon don't seem to care about creating their own world or breaking out of something or... Like, honestly, all they want is to just kill each other, to get rid of the other. Yeah, it's like a fight for balance of, well, I guess it's like tipping the scales. It's not really a balance of power. So, I mean, I guess, you know, not knowing anything about 
any of the story mode. I mean, I could always theorize that, like, maybe uh, Gleam... I mean, I, I believe that Gleam and Darkon are, like, two halves of the same whole, but, like, possibly two halves of Taboo after he was defeated. Interesting. That's a wild theory, but I like it. Yes, that's just going way out into the weeds there. So I wanted to get into this theory that you had written down in our notes, Digi. Fill us in on this entire theory. I'm not even going to try to preface it. So... Um, this is just sort of one of those wild kind of retrofitted theories that I am not insinuating in any way is what they were going for, but it's just kind of fun to think about these parallels. But here's my theory. Taboo represents Sakurai and his sort of feeling of ownership over the Smash Bros. series because, all right, so Melee was a game that Sakurai and his team made on an incredibly rushed schedule with not enough budget, and it almost destroyed all of them, like, physically, to complete the game in time. So it's full of bugs, it's poorly balanced, it's it's not the game that Sakurai wanted to make, but because of all of these things, like these imbalances and these physics quirks and things like that, it was a really good competitive game. Like, you can tell that in, when Brawl came out, Sakurai wasn't really happy with how much people enjoyed Melee, despite its, like, obvious flaws. Because it's, it's, uh, he said in interviews, and people have said about him, that whenever he is making a game, he just visualizes the full, complete game from the start and works straight towards that. He doesn't have any of those moments where it's like, you know what, I thought about this thing and it turns out it didn't work, so I'm going to change it. Like, he has his collective vision and he just needs to get everybody working towards that goal. That's how he, he works. So are you insinuating that with Melee, his vision sort of got away from him and he's the embodiment of Taboo trying to pull his vision back and get it back under yes, his control? exactly. He's trying <laughs> to get all of the fighters back under his control. He's trying to trophy them just and then he's trying to build the world how he wants it with these subspace bombs and he's trying to pull everything in have control over everything like and going back to this this last minute cameo here here's how sonic wraps into this because sonic shows up and and like wrecks taboo's little trophy thing because i think for sakurai the moment that like snake and sonic and all of these come in he realizes that smash bros is way bigger than just him this is like an archive of video game history right here. This this series is important. And that's whenever he just decides, okay, I'm going to relinquish some of this control and I'm going to listen to what people want and I'm going to give them what they want. That is a great theory. Yes. You, you connected a lot of threads there and I think... To some extent, you might actually be on point. You know, if Sakurai is truly the type of de developer that he comes across in interviews and from the people that work with him, it makes sense that he would want his original vision back and he would feel that loss of control because of Melee. But, you know, eventually your art, and I think this happens to any artist uh, in any field once they reach a certain level of success, your art eventually doesn't become just your own it doesn't become just your own vision it becomes the collective vision and the the sort of collective interpretation of every single person who participates in your art at that point point. and smash has become so big and so iconic at this point that 
it, it's synonymous with the Nintendo fan base. And it's no longer Sakurai's baby. It's the Nintendo fan base's baby that we're all raising together. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure to take a second to review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us to grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.